Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles. Welcome to the program today. The Sermon on the Mount is, has been considered to be one of the top teaching lessons that have ever been uh, spoken by mankind. It has a little bit of everything, and it has something for everyone, especially uh, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, a 21st century disciple, because this was given to his disciples. At this time, there were only six, and they were just beginning to accompany Jesus on his ministry. They were going to be his associates to help uh, tr crowd control, to help uh, to talk to people and to bring them to Jesus and various other things. So Jesus wanted them to know what, uh, what is coming and uh, how they should act and react and uh, what type of of attitude they should have and, and, and so forth. And so this Sermon on the Mount was an instruction tool given to them before they went out to accompany him in ministry. And one of the uh, first things that he taught them, <clears throat> we see in uh, uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> in Matthew, the fifth chapter, we're gonna begin to read at uh, verse number 13 as Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. And this Sermon on the Mount was not given to the multitudes. It was given to his disciples, okay? The multitudes still stayed down at the, uh, the bottom of the hill. Verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father is in heaven the salt of the earth now at this time salt was by far the most precious thing sought after by the Roman government it was more precious than gold more precious than silver but the beginning of this preciousness dates back about 350 years before this to Alexander the Great now, Alexander the Great had a uh, tremendous Macedonian army, and he 
conquered everything that he wanted to conquer and to do everything he wanted to do. Now, it, while he was fighting in uh, Greece, when fighting in uh, Macedonia and uh, or trance, so there, there was no problems as far as his soldiers were concerned to, uh, uh, to get supplies and to get meat. Alexander discovered uh, out of, uh, just out of experience, that if his soldiers, if his army had meat the night before a battle, then they would be more sustainable. They would have more strength. They would have more energy. Their, the fight would last longer at, the, at a high level of, of, uh, of activity. And so uh, while he was in Greece and in Macedonia, there was no problem. The meat was readily available. But once he, his army passed the Bosphorus and invaded uh, the Persian Empire, which present day Turkey, then things got uh, a little bit uh, out of balance because meat was not readily available. That desert area didn't, would, could not sustain the type of meat that was necessary to feed his army. And although he uh, continued to win battles, uh, his army began to uh, lose its members because they didn't have the energy and they would be cut down and have to be sent back to the, uh, to the back uh, with injuries that they would not have had if they had the, uh, the strength and the stamina to, uh, to withstand the attacks. Strictly by accident, Alexander learned a lesson of preservation of meat. One of his generals was out hunting one day in uh, in the region of, of eastern of western Turkey. <clears throat> he killed a couple of rabbits, and as he was um, taking these back uh, to have uh, have them uh, dressed and and fixed for his meal that night, it began to rain, and he. Uh, uh, ran into a cave that was near where he was hunting to escape the rain. And shortly after he entered into the, uh, uh, the cave, he went ahead and uh, said, well, I'm going to build a fire and I'm going to cook these rabbits now. So he skinned them and prepared them to, to cook. But just as he lit the fire and just as he had begun to, to cook these rabbits that he had killed, a messenger came and told him that uh, the Alexander needs him right now. You cannot wait. You must come. So he took the, uh, the meat and he put out the fire and threw the rabbits uh, over in the corner of, a, uh, of the cave and, and took off. Now, about two months later, he was in the same area hunting again. And uh, by now it was, uh, it was wintertime and he uh, uh, became very, very, very cold. And so uh, he was about to, uh, he, he was so cold he couldn't even pull the, the bow, uh, the string on his bow. So he went back into this same cave for, uh, for shelter. He built a fire and uh, uh, was trying to get warm. And uh, he, he remembered the, the two rabbits he had thrown over in the corner. So um, he was 
he went over there and, and to his surprise, the meat was still edible. It was still flexible. And what had happened is he threw them over in the corner, but they landed on a vein of salt, rock salt. And the salt had pulled the blood out of the, the carcass and had preserved this, this rabbit meat. And so he returned to the camp and told Alexander exactly what had happened. And from that time forward, Alexander began to preserve the meat that they uh, that they got with salt. And it was enough for them to preserve the meat uh, all the way to their uh, fight in India. And so for the next few years, his army did have the meat necessary to eat before a battle took place because of the preservation qualities of salt that they discovered strictly by accident. By now, 350 years later, salt was no longer a luxury. It was a necessity. For many years, it was a luxury. Salt was extremely expensive uh, because it was used to, uh, to preserve uh, the meat and to preserve uh, what the family would be eating or what the government would be eating. And so it was very expensive. But as time went on, then more salt was discovered. Rome would send conquering armies to different parts of the world, many times just for salt. An example of that is Hallstatt, uh, Austria. Um, when uh, Julius Caesar sent troops up into uh, Austria, they, they did it for one thing only, for one purpose only, and that was to conquer the salt mines at Hallstatt and to use those salt mines for the benefit of Rome and the preservation of their, of their meat and their food. And so um, it had what had been a luxury now becomes a necessity. Now we see those things in our, uh, in our society today. Um, you know, back uh, 75, 80 years ago, a refrigerator was a luxury. If you had anything, it usually was an icebox to keep your, your food uh, cool and to preserve it. But refrigerator was something that was pretty much for the rich and the, and the well-to-do. But now, in this society, 80, 100 years later, a refrigerator is absolutely mandatory. 20 years ago, a cell phone was something that uh, was not even thought of as a, uh, as a daily necessity. If you had a cell phone, if you had a car phone, then you were of the elite and very few people uh, had it. And it was, a, it was a luxury. But now everybody has a cell phone and you can't even function your day-to-day -day life without it. And so what was a luxury now has become a necessity. Such was the case with salt. It had now become a necessity of life. Now, the biggest and the largest area of exposed above-ground salt in the world at that time 
was around the Dead Sea in what is now Negev uh, Desert and around Nakaba, and all from there all the way up to the Dead Sea. Now, Augustus Caesar made a agreement with the people of Judea. They said this, that one half of your tax liability, you can pay with salt, salt to be brought to Rome. And so the tax liability for, uh, for money and goods uh, was only half of what was required for them to pay because the other half could be paid with free salt. And so uh, the Jewish authorities and the authorities of Herod the Great would, um, would pay people to load salt into wagons and into uh, the carriages. And they would take this salt overland to the ports of Caesarea Maritima or Hoffa and d different places that were, were ships were waiting. And so the, the, the salt was loaded on these ships and they waited until there was a caravan of ships, maybe uh, five or six or seven before they would go to Rome. <clears throat> and so they loaded the, the salt onto the ships and then they covered them with a, uh, with a tarp uh, or some type of covering to make sure that rain didn't uh, hurt it or there was no uh, problems uh, with the salt. But as these ships were sitting in harbor, waiting for enough to be filled to take a caravan of salt to Rome, the zealots from the Galilee, the rebels up there, whose desire was to sabotage anything that was Roman, well, they began to do their work. Under the cover of night, they would sneak in underneath the, uh, uh, the tarp or underneath the, the covering, and they would mix dirt in with the salt. And uh, the Romans didn't know anything about it, and, and they had no idea that that had happened. So now when the caravan was on its way, there would be a chemical reaction in the long journey to Rome and the dirt would begin to interact with the salt. And by the time it got to Rome, this conglomeration of dirt and salt mixture was now worthless. It was too much salt to be any good for soil and too much earth to be any good for salt. So many times the Roman authorities just dumped this mixture that was no good now uh, into the sea because of had no value whatsoever. But then Augustus Caesar came up with an idea. At that time, Rome was building roads all over the, uh, the empire. And uh, uh, from from ground zero in Rome to the furthest extents throughout the empire, roads were being built. And the Romans were excellent uh, road builders. And uh, the, uh, there would be a, an area of about uh, a foot to sometimes two feet deep. And then at the bottom of that ditch, they would put, uh, they would put sand and then crush rock.
another layer of sand, and then more uh, crushed rock, and then larger uh, rocks and sand again. And at the very top, you'd have paving stones, which um, uh, was, a, was an excellent road. And so, <clears throat> but over, as time went on, uh, grass began to grow up and it growed up through the uh, sand and, and through, the, uh, through the gravel and the, and the stone, and it began to make its way to the top of the paving stones, and they would, it, would, it would break it open. And the, uh, the paving stones would then be, uh, uh, would basically turn to chalk, and they would develop holes in the road. Augustus Caesar, he came up with an idea. He said, what we will do is that the second layer of sand, we will put this combination of salt and earth. And so they did that. They made, a, uh, they made the road with uh, a couple of inches of this uh, conglomeration of, of uh, earth and, and salt. And so when the, uh, when the grass began to grow, it would hit that layer and die. It would not make it to the top, and it wouldn't uh, uh, it wouldn't uh, uh, break the paving stones apart, and would the road would still be uh, great. And even 2,000 years later, I personally have traveled on these Roman roads. This Roman road that was built 2,000 years ago is still functioning, still hauling traffic, and still connects uh, major population centers and the roads are still in good shape because of the idea that Augustus Caesar had concerning the salt and the earth. Jesus is telling his disciples, those ones that would be going out with him and to minister with him, he says, you can't compromise be either one or the other. You cannot mix the world with the preciousness of your salt. Salt is the most precious commodity that's in the world today. Such is the case with you, my disciples, and you, your 21st century disciples. You are most precious in the sight of God. You are a servant of Jesus. You are a fellow worker of Christ. He has uh, chosen you to be part of his entourage as he ministers to people throughout the world. You are chosen. And you are chosen because of the value that God placed within you. You are the most precious commodity. You are the salt. But you can't mix the pleasures of the world, the downfalls of the world, in with your preciousness and with your salt. Because if you do, then there will be disaster. You'll have too much of the world to be any good for Christ and too much of Christ to be any good for the world. Jesus told his disciples, be one or the other. Don't compromise. 
If you're going to be soil, then leave this, uh, this group and go be your soil. But if you're going to be salt and you're going to be precious to me and to the Heavenly Father, then don't mix the cares and the problems and the joys of this world to end with your preciousness of salt. Now that doesn't mean to become a hermit. It doesn't mean to become a monk and go hide out in a cave someplace or go into a, uh, a facility up in the uh, top of the Alps mountains and isolate yourself. It doesn't mean that. <clears throat> what it means in, is in daily life, okay? In daily life, if we let the cares of the world, if we can't let the activities of the world take precedent and control what we do, who we are, and what we accomplish, then that's what Jesus says must not happen. We live in this world. We have to play by the rules of this world. We were born here. We live here and we will die here. So we are subjected to the rules, the principles, and the expectations of uh, society and the things that we do. But we don't have to let that be our God. We don't have to let the world and the world's activities and the world's expectations to govern our lives. Instead, we are servants of the Most High God, servants of Christ. And we take that servanthood into the world, into the society that's out there. And we show by our example, we show by our uh, witness, we show by our uh, lack of, uh, of uh, involvement in the, uh, in the evils of the world, we show this world that we are not compromising, that we truly are the salt of the earth, and we are not bringing it together with the cares of the world. So be one or the other. If you're going to live for the devil, then do it. It would be the biggest mistake of your life but you can't bring that into the worship of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be salt. He wants you to be precious. He doesn't want you to take the other route, which leads to destruction and leads to death. He wants you to stay with him, be his disciple, be the precious salt. And then when you are, then you can walk with him on the road that does not crack, does not have holes in it. And he will be with you, he will minister to you, and he will be your comfort at all times. People that we minister to in the Islamic countries, these people in the garbage city, and many others that are over there have accepted Christ. They know what we're talking about. Many of those people, when they accept Jesus, they adopt a death sentence. They will never, ever be free of this world's uh, 
horrors and their imprisonment and the beatings and the, and the torture that they go through. But they stay strong for Jesus. And many of them at the very time, at the very instant of, of, uh, of death or the very instant of persecution uh, in a thousand different ways, they smile and say, I trust my God and Jesus loves me and Jesus cares. And Jesus is the only thing that I must dedicate myself to. Even in the face of death, I will trust him. So please remember these people in prayer. They are trusting the Lord for their daily provision, for their daily life, for their daily comfort. And if you will, join many others throughout this country and throughout the world by pledging that I will pray five minutes a day for the persecuted believers. 182,000 died for the cause of Christ since 2016. 186,000 died for Christ. They need your prayers, not the ones that are dead, but those that are still living. They need your prayers. Five minutes a day, pray for the persecuted believers and the Lord will richly bless you and bless them as a result of your efforts. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Charles of the Cubit Foundation. You know, we've been in Middle East for going on 30 years. And I would love to come to your church or your meeting to let you know what's happening uh, in reality in the Middle East. And uh, we'd love to come there and let you know what's happening, what the Lord's doing in that part of the world. So if you can contact us at thecubitfoundation.org, then we could come to your place. And if you would like to find out more about us, then go to www.cubitfoundation.org. Thank you. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.